Judges chapter number 6. Judges chapter number 6. I'm not going to ask you to stand tonight. I'm going to read quite a bit of the passage this evening. But I want to talk to you about a man that most of us have heard about, a man named Gideon. I'm going to apply it to our life tonight uh, as we read through it. But I want to start in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse number 1. Remember the pattern that we've seen here throughout the uh, Israelites is uh, God sends a deliverer. They turn back to God. God rescues them uh, through all of that. Then after a while, they just go back to their old ways and they're in bondage again. And here we are in Judges chapter number 6. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with the cattle and with their tents and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude for both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out uh, from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in uh, Ophrah and pertained unto Joash uh, uh, Abizrite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where, uh, and where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in, the, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and shall smite the Midianites as one man. I was reading through this again, and as I was preaching this morning on no excuses, I find a man making excuses uh, in this passage of Scripture. Uh, It's amazing how God ties passages of Scriptures together uh, as you begin to study things. But I'm going to preach to you tonight on God uses the least to get his work accomplished. God works, uses the least to get his work accomplished. Let's pray, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the wonderful, wonderful spirit we have in this church. Lord, thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the encouragement tonight. Lord, what a blessing it is that we can be encouraged in your house But Lord, as we go to your word tonight, Lord, may we find strength in it. And Lord, may we... Uh, 
Lord, just have a renewed spirit about us as we leave this place this evening. Lord, if there's any here that do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you tonight. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here we are. The nation of Israel is back in the area where they're in bondage for seven years to the Midianites. It said that the Midianites impoverished them, which made them in poverty because as they planted things, as they would sow their crops and things like this, these Midianites and the Amorites would come and they would take all of their crops and take all of their stuff. And here they were just very uh, scraping with the least of the things that were around them and all of these things because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord. They didn't do what God had told them to do. They turned away towards other uh, idols and other gods and things like that. And here now God uh, is, is calling a man Gideon. And he's talking to Gideon and uh, he begins to explain to Gideon that uh, he's going to use him to uh, deliver the nation of Israel. And Gideon does something that a lot of us do. He begins to make excuses. And as we talked about this morning about there's no excuses for some things, uh, this is what he says, the Lord has forsaken us. Listen, Gideon's defeated. He's in a place right now where he's even trying to hide that he's threshing wheat from the Midianites so they don't see it and come and take it from him. He's hiding by the wine press and he's uh, going through and he's trying to make this wheat for his family and do these things. And he's defeated, he's disillusioned, he's discouraged, he's doubting. And uh, we've, we've been in that boat before, haven't we? Uh, I know I have. I've been in that boat once or twice. Uh, but now it's been uh, 250 years since the uh, 10 plagues of Egypt and the Red Sea and about 200 years since the Jordan River parted. And uh, they're asking, where's God? What's happened? Where's he at? Uh, we're in bondage. I don't see any miracles taking place. Gideon feels like the Lord's given up on them. And I know there's times in our life where we feel that way. But what the world is uh, what's in the world uh, is Gideon doing here? Gideon saying to himself, God's not with me. God's left me. God's not here. Where's the miracles happening? I thought God loved us. He's complaining and he's making excuses about things. Gideon has suffering from that, well, I'm going to blame somebody else syndrome. And uh, we're good at doing that, aren't we? And most of the time, the person we blame is God. And that's what Gideon's doing. Our circumstances get rough, and we start blaming God for it. God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you cared about me. God, if you really love me, why is all this stuff happening to me? He's blaming God for his trouble and his problems. He said, the Lord hath forsaken us. He's accusing God for what Israel did. The things that Israel did, how they turned their back on God. Now he's blaming God for it, brother guy. He's saying, God, you're the one that's doing this to us. You're the one that's causing all these problems. And God just explained to him in the early part of the chapter, he said uh, that I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the oppressed and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And as I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but he have not obeyed my voice. He just told him, it's not about what I've done, it's about what you've done. But Gideon's blinded by what's uh, the circumstances around him. And he's saying, God, it's what you're doing to us. I can't believe you're doing all this. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about us. He's blaming God for the problems, and it's something that Israel did. God didn't forsake them, they forsook the Lord. This wasn't a, a case of God leaving the nation of Israel. It was a case of the nation of Israel leaving God. 
And in every case when uh, it seems like you're in bondage and you begin to blame God, it's not because God left you, it's because you left God. And that's always the case. God didn't leave us. They forsook the Lord. This was the real reason for their trials. The real reason for their heartache was they turned away from God. And they began to serve false gods. They began to serve false idols. God's power was not deficient. It wasn't to the point where God couldn't do anything anymore. It was man's purity and dedication to the Lord that was deficient. Man's uh, uh, dedication to God is what was lacking there. It wasn't God's provision or God's protection. It was man's disobedience to God. Man's loyalty to God is what was lacking in this in the nation of Israel. I'm setting a stage for some things right now. We're just going through all of this. Gideon closed his eyes to the source of the true problem. It was idols in the land. Things that were exalted above God. And I want us to understand there's some things in our life that we are blinded to that are the source of the real problem. There's times in our life we just won't admit to get to the root of the problem. To get to the the part of the problem that needs to be destroyed. See, these false idols needed to be destroyed. They needed to be gone. They needed to get out of the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel would cower to these things and they would bow to these gods. Listen, his own father, if you read through, his own father even had idols in their home. And many times we reason that the turmoil and the judgment that is uh, here at our front door is because of what God's chastisement on us, because God doesn't like us or because God doesn't care about us. But the problem is it's our disobedience to God most of the time. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 3, it said, Behold, the Lord... The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear that it cannot hear. But all your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have he hid uh, from have I'm sorry, and your sins have hid his face from you, that ye will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, and your tongues have muttered perverseness. Listen, like Gideon, it's easy for us to blame God or other people for the problems rather than recognize and deal with the sin of our own problem. We're good at pointing the fingers to everybody else. That happened all the way back at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and God came and confronted them about it and he said, Adam, I'm paraphrasing, basically, what have you done, Adam? And he said, Lord, it's the woman you gave me. Guess what he did? He not only blamed the woman, he blamed God. God, you're the one that gave her to me. She's the one that did it. She gave it to me and I did eat. And he said, Eve, and she said, it was the serpent. He did it. You know what? We're good at blaming others rather than recognizing our own sin and dealing with it and taking responsibility for our actions. I believe true revival could come to a church that would just accept responsibility for their own actions. If we would just accept responsibility for what we have done and quit worrying about what everybody else has done, quit saying, well, they do this and they do that and just realize, well, I'm a sinner just like they are and I've got issues of myself and I need to deal with me before I can ever uh, try to help deal with somebody else. And the fact of the matter is oftentimes when we're pointing a finger, we need to understand we got fingers pointing right back at us because we have to just accept responsibility for our own actions. 
We're good in our services and in our churches to be judge, jury, and executioner to everybody around. And we begin to point the finger and we try to say, well, our sin's not as bad as their sin. And so we start pointing the finger and blaming. Even in uh, husband-wife relationships, we'll say, well, you did this or you did that. And we try to point the finger back and forth. And brothers and sisters will do the same thing or friends will do the same thing rather than just saying, listen, I'm a sinner and I've done wrong. Accepting responsibility for our own actions. See, Gideon hasn't accepted the fact yet that the nation of Israel turned their back on God. That they're in bondage to the Midianites because um, they turned their back on the, the Lord and didn't obey what God had to say. Let me ask you a question. When we blame God or do we blame others, does it solve our problem? When we point our finger at God and say, God, this is your fault, does it fix the problem? When we point our finger at somebody next to us and we say, hey, it's your fault, does it fix the problem? It doesn't fix the problem. Does it bring us closer to the Lord when we do those things? It doesn't. In fact, it drives us farther. Builds a wedge between us and God. So what is the solution? When the problems come, the first place to look is within ourselves And confess our own sins. To the Lord and figure out where we have created a problem God is there something in me the Bible says uh, the, the psalmist was saying try me know my heart see if there be any wicked way in me listen Lord just search me find inside of me the issue oftentimes we're trying to say well that person's wrong or that person's wrong or this person's wrong rather than saying God what is it in me that I need to fix See, I believe a revival could happen if we just say, Lord, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Lord, if there's something inside of me that's not right, God expose that so I can get it right. That I can put that on the altar and get rid of those things. You got to deal with your sin and take responsibility for your actions. God wanted to use Gideon, but he needed to get Gideon right before he could use it. He wanted to use Gideon, but he had to get Gideon to the place where Gideon would just yield to God. God gives him a promise in verse 14. Gideon's gone through all of this, and Gideon's just said, Lord, you did all of this stuff to us, and did you bring us uh, out of Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us. In verse 14, look what it says. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. Thou shalt save Israel from the, the hand of the Midianites. Have not, I sent thee. The Lord knew Gideon was doubtful, but he tries to assure him and comfort him that, listen, I've sent you. I'm going to deliver them into your hand. Go in thy might. Understand, I'm with you. You just talked about, well, I'm not fit to go and uh, all of these things. And I, I'm telling you, I, I'm with you. He's trying to encourage him. Gideon's unaware that he's speaking to the one that he doubts. When this angel of the Lord appears to him, I don't believe he realizes yet that he's speaking to a picture of, of Jesus. That it's just an angel of the Lord talking to him. And he just says, has the Lord done all of this? He says, listen, I'm with you. Go in thy might. And he's trying to comfort him. And Gideon, it really, uh, he said, haven't I sent you? And this is the person of the Lord himself speaking to Gideon. Gideon's call from the Lord was a personal call. He says, Gideon, I want you to go. And God's call for us is a personal call. God tells us to go and to do things. 
And God reassures us that, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And as he tells Gideon, go in thy might, and listen, I'll deliver them into your hand. I'm there with you. I've sent you. I'm there with you. I will help you. He's trying to give him some surety about it. And listen, in our Christian life, God tries to give us some surety about it. He wants us to go. He wants us to go forward. And he says that in Matthew 28 when he's talking to those disciples and he's admonishing all of us. And he says this, lo, I'm with you always. He said, I'm there. Go. Go do this. And I've already done it for you. I've already made the way. I've already done all the hard stuff. You just need to go and give the message. We do just like Gideon does. We begin to start making some excuses, but God promised victory to Gideon. He gives Gideon his promise that his power is going to be there, his presence is going to be there. God's given us all those same things, God's power, God's promises, God's presence to be with us. It's just like what's happening when we're in bondage to sin and all of these things. God's given us all of this. God gives Gideon everything he needs for victory. But Gideon has a confidence problem. Gideon has a confidence issue. Look at verse 15 and 16. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He basically says, listen, I'm the lowest. I'm the runt of the group. I'm the one that nobody else wants. I'm the outcast. God, you can't use me. There's no way I can do this. Gideon was aware that he had some limitations. He understood that in and of his own strength, it seemed like an impossible task. He explains that the job was too big for him to do. He excuses, his excuses were, I don't qualify. I'm not good enough. And all of us can give those same excuses, can't we? We're not good enough. I don't qualify. God, I'm the least of it all. There's no way I can uh, fight this battle on my own. You notice Moses did the same thing in the book of Exodus. He said, how can I go to Pharaoh when I'm a man of uncircumcised lips? God, there's no way I can go. He says, I'm going to send Aaron with you and uh, try to help you with this. And then Moses did all the talking. You know why? Because God empowered him and equipped him to do it. But Gideon focused on what he was. Not what God was. Gideon was focusing on what he could do, not what God could do. See, when Gideon was looking at the battle ahead, Gideon was looking at his own strength. Gideon was looking at his own abilities. Gideon was looking at, there's no way. I'm the least in my father's house. I come from a poor family. There's no way the people are going to follow me. There's no way that I can do this. In fact, I'm hiding from the Midianites just so I can have some uh, wheat here. There's no way that I can lead a charge against the Midianites when they're like grasshoppers. And it just seems like there's so many of them. There's no way we can overcome this battle. Excuse after excuse after excuse. God, there's no way. And that happens to us oftentimes, doesn't it? We begin to make excuse after excuse after excuse. Gideon saw his own limitations and weaknesses and failed to see God working through his life. See, God wants to use us. But God has to bring, him to, bring us to a place as he's bringing Gideon. If we look at our own life the way that Gideon did, we should come to the same conclusion. If we look at ourselves, there's no way. No way we could beat the, the devil and his demons. 
There's no way we can accomplish this task in our own strength and our own abilities. We see our frail, our fragile, our fading abilities. And as we get older, it seems like they get worse and worse, don't they? It seems like the things we used to be able to do, we can't do anymore. We have this idea, God, there's no way you can use me. But in Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. See, we can't focus on it like Gideon was focusing on it. We'll get to what happens in Gideon's life here in a little while, but Gideon's in a place now making these excuses before God and saying, God, there's no way I can be used. And I begin to think about this in our Christian life and the way that uh, when openings come for us to serve in a ministry, we begin to say, God, there's no way I can do that. God, there's no way I'm not capable of that. God, I can't speak in front of people. God, I can't do this or God, I can't do that. And we start looking at our own abilities rather than God's abilities through us. We start looking at our circumstance rather than what God's able to do through the circumstance. And we have to remember that it's not about what we're able to do. It's all about what God's able to do. And it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. In John 15, verse 5, it says, without me, he can do nothing. And you understand, without God, we can't do anything. And Gideon was focusing on the battle ahead, but he was looking at his own abilities to try to accomplish it. And if we look at our own abilities, guess what? We might as well shut the doors and go home because there's nothing you and I can do except the Lord build the house. Paul reminded us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Now, there's some people take that out of context. Um, there's people that try to justify what they're doing. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, that doesn't mean you can stand on top of the Empire State Building, jump off and fly like a bird because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Guess what? Gravity's going to come into play and you're going to hit the ground splat. Okay? There's a lot of people think, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's talking about is a spiritual battle. There's nothing you can't face with God on your side. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Gideon had no confidence at all. That's where the Lord begins to deal with us as individuals, is lowering us to the place where we have to depend totally on God's ability and God's strength. God has to lower us and get our pride out of the way and show us who we really are before we ever can totally rely on God. And until you'll really admit and accept responsibility for who you really are, that you're nobody without God. Until that point comes, God can't use you to the fullest. And God wants to use you to his fullest. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, our sufficiency is of God. Gideon's greatest need wasn't self-confidence. It was God-confidence. That's what he needed. See, we don't need self-confidence. We need God-confidence. We need to be confident in our Savior. We need to be confident in the Lord. You know what? God can do anything that's above and beyond what you and I could ever ask or think. God's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to use people that don't ever look usable. He's able to do all of those things because God does the impossible. And Gideon didn't need his own self-confidence. He needed God-confidence. And we have that same need in our life. But I read this the other day. It said God-confidence is strengthened from a God consciousness. How do you get God confidence? Is you have a God consciousness. 
What's that mean? You talk to God daily. You let God talk to you daily. How You can't have confidence in something that you don't know. And if God's not, you're not, and I have conscious awareness of who God is, it's hard to be confident in Him. But if you'll gain some uh, consciousness about who God really is, you can gain a confidence that what He can do. And as our, our theme this year is to know God and to make Him known, I'm giving you a little story of Gideon, and we're going to talk about some of the excuses here that he makes, not only in and of himself, but he goes back to do some of these uh, excuses. But this, this God confidence that's bred from a God consciousness and, and the consciousness of His presence in our life, and there's a, a, a cautiousness uh, of sin. We have to have a, a God cautiousness of sin so that there can be a, a, a contagiousness in reaching others. If we're conscious of the sin that's in our life, realizing that God's pointing these things in our life, then there's never going to be an opportunity for have this contagious desire to serve, uh, serve the Lord. We have to realize who we are and uh, just get conscious about who God really is before we can see the power of comes. And when we're conscious about who God is, then we get the courage to follow through with what God wants us to do. See, it's hard for us to have courage in someone and faith in someone that we know nothing about. But the closer that we draw to him, you understand what God was doing. He was showing Gideon his inability and then showing him what he could do so that Gideon would have confidence and courage to follow through with it. And that's what God wants in us. As we follow God and we begin to win people to Christ and we begin to get closer to the Lord and we spend daily in Him, we begin to see God do miracles and different things. We get more uh, courageous about serving Him and uh, more, more courage about boldness to stand up for Him and do all these things. And Why? Because that comes from a God consciousness in our life. And we have to know who God is. Gideon didn't realize that the Lord knows him and his weaknesses already. He already knew who he was dealing with. God wasn't making a mistake in who he was choosing to lead the nation. He's looking at God as, God, you're making a mistake here. Um, You're trying to choose me and I'm the least. I come from a poor family. There's no way that you can use me. And God's like, you're right. I can't use you unless you want to be usable. I can't use you in your abilities and your strength. But if you'll rely on me and allow, uh, be conscious of who I am and the strength that I have, and the strength that I possess, then you can accomplish the impossible. And that's what God's trying to teach him. And the excuses that he offers gave me some good insight. I can't serve, he said, because of my lack of fortune and fame. And you know what? That's where a lot of people think success comes from, is fortune and fame in their life. They think, well, you got to have the most money or you got to be the most popular. Gideon says, I come from a poor family. Israel's problem couldn't be solved by money. The nation of Israel couldn't find victory over money. Neither can the United States, neither can you, neither can I. Money's not going to win our freedom. Money's not going to help us to get out of bondage. Money's not going to help us all that. All the fortune in the world's not going to help you win the victory. What it's going to do is pierce you even to sorrows. If your problem can be solved with money, guess what? Your problem's not that big. Do you hear what I said? If your problem can be solved with money, your problem's not as big as you think it is. Gideon didn't need money. Gideon needed God. That's what Gideon needed. Excuse number two was fame. 
come from a poor house. I'm the least in my father's house, he said. Listen, you don't have to be socially great in order to be spiritually useful. You don't have to be socially great in order to be spiritually useful. Your name doesn't have to be in the sword of the Lord for God to use you. You don't have to be a nationally known television preacher for God to know who you are. You don't have to be somebody that everybody knows. Man, your fame just goes out throughout all the earth, and then, then God can use you. No, God can use the least to get his job accomplished. We need more men of faith, not men of fame. We need more men of faith, not men of fame in our churches. Men who love God, who love his word, and love his people. Gideon said, I'm a nobody, Lord. And God said, good. You're just exactly who I'm looking for. And you know who God's looking for? The nobodies. I have a quote in the front of my Bible that says, I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And the fact is, all of us are nobodies without God. And when Gideon said, God, I'm the least in my house. I'm a nobody, God. God says, ha, now you got the picture. But I'm everything. And if you follow me, I'll show you some miracles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and all things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What's that mean? God uses the lowest to show how great he is. God uses the least to show how big and mighty he is. God is great at using the simple unknowns. Think of Jacob, a liar that God used to father the Jewish nation. Think of Joseph, a slave that saved Egypt in a time of famine. Think of Moses, a shepherd, a murderer. But yet God uses him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage. Think of Ezra, a scribe, and Esther, a slave girl, and Matthew, the tax collector, or the IRS agent. God used all of them. Peter, a fisherman. God used people that were ignorant and unlearned men. Why? Because God was showing how mighty he is. God was showing that he can use the small things to make a big impact in this world. God will use you if you're willing to be used. You don't have to have all the degrees, you don't have to have the best abilities. The best ability is availability. Lord, here am I. Use me. Here am I. Use me. I think about different people throughout the Bible that God used to turn the world upside down. Those 12 men, those 12 disciples that God used to turn the world upside down. If you look at them all as a whole, you'd think, wow. God, you didn't pick the right team here. I mean, when we pick baseball teams, you're supposed to pick the best players. Not the worst players. 
know, these disciples were the guys that got picked last in softball. You know, they were the guys that were sitting on the bench say, or sitting on the sidelines saying, I want to play. And everybody's like, do you hear anybody else that wants to play? I mean, that's the kind of people these guys are. But God uses them because you know what he was looking for? Not talent. Not ability, because when we have our own abilities and our own talents that we begin to look at, we forget about who God is. And God wants to keep us humble so that he can use us to understand that we're nobody without him. That we're just a nothing without him. And there's a lot of people that will proclaim to everyone their own goodness. But they're full of pride. And God resists them. Because it says he resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Gideon was a great encouragement to me when I have a hard time accepting myself because God helps me to realize it's not about me. And you hear me say that quite often. But the reason that I say that quite often is because we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And I'm trying to keep us focused on something. We're nothing without God. We're nobodies without God. But I'm glad God can make something and somebody out of a nobody. I'm glad God can do that. The reason I believe that God gives more insight in this book, in the book of Judges, to Gideon's life than any other, there are over a hundred verses given to the personal struggle of Gideon's faith in God was he's looking at us that trying to confirm to Gideon that, listen, it's not about your abilities. You can't stay in your little box and cower down from the battle because of who you are and because what your ability is. He's focusing on all of this. He spent over a hundred verses in here, Gideon, of, of, of questioning in and of himself who he is. I mean, he even throws out a fleece here in a little while. I'm a God, just to make sure. I'm going to throw out this fleece and if it's wet on one side and dry on the other side then I'll know and he does that and he doesn't even believe it again he says let's try it opposite now Lord if it's wet on the bottom and dry on the top then I know you're talking to me about this he's still having all of these problems he wants some confirmation from the Lord in verse 17 through 21 look what he says and he said unto him if now I have found grace in thy sight then show me a sign that thou talkest with me as if he hasn't got it yet. I mean, God's already smacked him upside the head a couple times. Verse 18, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes, and an ephod of flour, and uh, flesh he put in a basket, and he uh, put the broth in a pot and brought it out uh, unto him under an oak and presented it. And the angel of, uh, of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay it upon the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand and he touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rocks and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Here's one sign. Uh, before he even gets to the fleece, he says, listen, I'm going to make all this. I'm going to make a cake and some flowers and all this stuff. And if it's you, show me your presence. And he burns it all up. Now, this is a big deal because remember, they're, they're in poverty. They don't have a lot of stuff because the Midianites are taking it all. So this is a big deal. Gideon's making all of this stuff. He's trying to, uh, his unbelief and all of this stuff is 
slowly going away and is starting to grow in confidence in the Lord. And this sign, this confirmation from God that he gives him. And he says, don't leave until I give you the present. He prepares the sacrifice in verse 19. And God burns up the sacrifice down to verse number 21. All of these things are taking place. And look at what it says if we continue to read there in verse 22. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom unto this day. It is in yet in Orpha of the Abazarites. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of the seven years old, and throw it down on the altar of Baal, that thy father hath, and cut thee down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord their God. And upon the top of this rock, in, order, uh, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer the burnt sacrifice with wood of the groves which thou hast cut down. And Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. He's still afraid. He was worried about what his dad was going to say. Now he's burning down his dad's altars, his dad's idols. God tells him, listen, you need to get rid of all this stuff. Take these things they're worshiping, these bullocks and all this other stuff, and get rid of all that. Because I need to be first place. Now Gideon's afraid of his dad. He took ten men and he went at nighttime. He's still in disguise. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be in disguise. I'm going to do what God tells me to do, but I'm not going to do it in the daylight. I'm going to do it in the dark. Because I don't want people to see what I'm doing. Gideon suddenly realizes who his guest was. He's been face to face with the Lord. Gideon's gripped with fear. He's afraid of his father, afraid of all of this stuff, but the Lord tells him, be not afraid. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the battle. And we can read on and on and on and on and talking about how Gideon's still trying to get confirmation, trying to get confirmation with the fleeces and all this stuff. And then God gives him all these men and he brings him down to the brook and he says, now you got too many of them. And he tells them that you got too many people with you. He's thinking, what do you mean I got too many people? They're, they're like grasshoppers in our sight. He said, have them, you know, uh, tell all those that are afraid to go home. And so Gideon says, all right, all of you that are afraid, go home. And they all go home. A lot of them. And he's left with just a few, still that, a few thousand. And he says, hey, you know what, Gideon, that's, uh, that's still too many. Lord, um. We've been through this a little bit here. He said, have them drink water, Gideon. And those that lap it up like a dog, send them home. But those that drink it out of their hand, those that... And he ends up with 300 guys against this army. Gideon's thinking to himself, God, you must be making a mistake. See, because Gideon was still having a problem. He was looking at his own abilities and the abilities of them rather than what God had for him to do. See, the reason for this message tonight is this. God can use the least to make big accomplishments for for him. See, we can win big battles with people that just forget about them and think about God. That forget about us 
and think about who he is. We forget about the excuses that we can make on why we don't go out and do this or why we're not willing to go out and fight the battle for the Lord, why we're still trying to stay in the dark, in the shadows, why we're not just stepping up to the battle and doing what God wants us to do. Because we say, oh, I'm not worthy, and guess what, we're not. And Lord, I don't have the ability, and guess what, we don't. But God wants us to understand and look beyond. It's not about our abilities, what we're able to do. See, Gideon was trembling in fear because of who he was. If he would have just understood who God was, he could have found victory a lot sooner than he really did. But as Gideon began to get courageous by seeing God's confirmation in his life, they do what God tells them to do, and they go down with the pitchers and the lamps and the sword, and they yell, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, they crash the lamps, and they do all this, and they yell all that, and the Midianites begin to kill themselves. And God does a great work. And a great miracle. And they didn't even have to fight a battle. Because God already fought it for them. See what we have to understand in our life. Is let's just quit with the excuses. Let's just quit with focusing on what we're able to do. Because if we try to build this work in and of ourselves, It's going to crumble and it's going to fall. But except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. We have to trust in God. And God's abilities. And as I was reading through this. God was just really confirming in my heart that it's. Again, not about who I am. It's not about what I'm able to do. It's not about who you are and what you're able to do. But rather about who God is. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able to do things that you and I couldn't ever imagine. Nothing is impossible with God. I asked you this question. Is revival still able to happen? You ask certain people, you know what they'll say? Say we're too far gone for revival. But I'm here to tell you today, God is the God of revival. God is the God of revival. And I believe we can see a revival take place again if we'll just focus on God's abilities and what God can do if we just say, Lord, here am I. Use me. My mind went to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as I thought about those Hebrew boys that were brought into bondage and captivity... They were brought from Jerusalem to Babylon, given new names, a new life, a new mindset. But they wouldn't bow to the idols. They wouldn't bow to the king. They wouldn't eat the king's meat nor the wine. None of those things. And Daniel found favor in the king's eyes. And he was, guess what? He prayed and defied what the command of the king was because he obeyed God rather than man. Thrown into a fiery furnace or, or, or thrown into a lion's den and God spared him. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow. And God, our God will deliver us, O king. But if not, we're still going to stand for the Lord. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. And the king looks in and he says, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He said, But lo, I see four men. Because I want you to understand something, church. In the midst of your fire, God could be allowing that fire to show his presence to somebody else. See, the king, looking in the fiery furnace, was seeing something that he hadn't seen in a while. Oh, he saw it in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saw it in those boys, but as he looked inside it, Brother Bobby said, who's that other one? Lo, the form of the fourth is as the Son of God. And you know, even though those young boys were going through a fire, 
God showed himself to other people because they were going through a fire. Understand this. There's times in our life that we go through fires so God can reveal himself to other people. But we have to understand when we're in this area in our life, when we feel like we're in bondage, the way to defeat the enemy is not in our abilities, but rather in our God who is able to give us victory. And I was looking through this, reading through these passages of Scripture, and I just thought about, you know what, Lord? I'm done with excuses. I'm done with saying, God, I can't. Because we can't, but God can. God can. And we can through Him. We can through Him. I believe God could turn Martinsburg upside down for Him. If we have a group of people that just say, Lord, here am I. I don't know what it is. God, I'm scared to death. Because I can't do it by myself. And God says, good. I'm glad you realize you don't have the strength. Just trust in me. That's what he was teaching Gideon. As Gideon's given all these excuses, God's saying, yep, you're right. You're right. You are the least of your house. Yep, you're right. You are from a poor family. That's why I'm going to use you. Because if you just say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'm showing you how I can make something out of nothing. And God wants to do that, I believe, in this place. When we feel inadequate, we feel we can't be used, just understand God will use anybody who's willing. Anybody who just says, Lord, here am I. If you're willing to be used, God can use you. And God can do things in you and through you that you never could have imagined because it's not about who we are, but all about who he is. With our heads bowed and eyes closed,